An image of an excited Shiba Inu named Kabosu is now the most expensive meme ever sold. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbuttoned. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett. Find us on Tuesdays on your podcast platform of choice. And by all means, check out The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash on Wednesdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook Live. And focusgroupradio.com is the URL for our website. You'll find all our media there, and including uh, information about me and Tim. And of course, you can always drop us a line at letters at focusgroupradio.com. So we're going to have uh, three stories for you in a moment. But at first, we want to thank Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, for bringing us to you every week. And we'll have some information on them as well later on in the podcast. So welcome to the middle of June, Tim. <laughs> the middle of June. If you were uh, a high school kid, I guess you'd be ready to graduate. Yes, yes. And um, and if you were not graduating, you'd be looking forward to kind of a dead week or a week and a half of not getting too much done. As I recall, when I was a kid, I remember right before summer break, it was always like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, You know, we've probably talked about this before, but didn't summer feel like, oh my God, you have the summer off. It felt like it was a whole year. It was so long, in fact, that you could go to the store and buy some new clothes and claim you had a new wardrobe in the school year ahead. <laughs> Which, Even which, though it was like, what, six weeks? Which seven? Is, yeah, which when you think about it now is ridiculous. <laughs> right? Yeah. When you started yeah, well, with all these new clothes. I think it's ridiculous now when I think about it. I wonder why my mother thought it was crazy. New lunchbox. You had to have a new three-ring binder. Um, and as you got older and you had classes, you had the tab dividers. And you could have the thing that clipped in to hold your pencils and pens. <laughs> and your eraser and your little six-inch ruler. You know what I'm talking about, Oh, right? yeah. The, 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 right. All the new The all plastic the new stuff. thing with a zipper on it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you get excited to go look for a new lunchbox? Um, when we were doing lunchboxes, which um, I remember when we graduated to the paper bag lunch, and it felt like you were stepping up to the big boy uh, yeah. territory there. Bag lunch. Wow. Um, am I correct in assuming that lunchbox kind of went away by the time you were in fifth grade? Yeah. I remember bag lunch for fifth and sixth. Right. And then you would go get, uh, and then you would. Cafeteria. And, right. And, you, and you'd buy your milk, which sometimes they would freeze. <laughs> and then you would get picked on if your mother wrote a little, you know, I love you, honey, on the outside of the, the bag. The kids that got yeah. made fun of with their name on the bag. That was the next yes, thing. Yes. After the... Well, I got a lot of heat for my lunches. Why? Um, well, my father was obsessed with um, bologna Oof. and liverwurst. Do you remember those? those that must have that, stunk. That spreadable crap. And, um, you know, and I sometimes had good desserts. Like a ho ho, a ding dong. <laughs> Did your dad make the lunch? <laughs> yeah, dad was in charge of lunches. Oh, so, boy. you know, I could never trade that sandwich for anything. We complained bitterly. Um, it was it w it fell on deaf ears. Let's just put it that way. It was like whatever you're going to eat, whatever we give you. Well, you you remember my dad. You're going to eat what I give you. I'm sure many people have that experience. Um, so I would trade now and then. Um, but then you know sometimes snacks or the dessert was an apple or a banana. Right. <laughs> 
I remember getting the bologna with my mom would do bologna, and now of course she'd be arrested for p- food poisoning. Right? They'd do bologna with mayonnaise and lettuce, and if it was a hot day, that thing would just be smush. <laughs> I still remember the wet. I still remember the warm lettuce and the mayonnaise. I still remember that. But you know, now it would have to be refrigerated. Right? All concerned about about keeping it refrigerated. Mm. We all lived. Or tuna fish. They did. You know, your tuna they fish. Did. Nothing would be refrigerated, right? No, no. And in fact, I was having, just as you were saying that, I was having a flashback to uh, the red light in the cafeteria at Memorial School. So there was a red light bulb up high near the ceiling when there was a switch below it. And uh, the dining room or the dining hall monitors or the cafeteria monitors would threaten to flick the switch and make the red light flash. And supposedly there was an identical bulb that was tied to that circuit in the principal's office Uh or the vice principal's office. And I remember one time, one of my classmates, Brian, he studied this for quite a while. He was trying to figure out, like, does this really go to the principal's office or not? And he determined that it didn't. And one day he decides to have a food fight. It was one of those days they served something disgusting from the cafeteria and he began throwing food (laughs) (laughs) and the whole room erupts. And this woman, I think her name was Gracie Coomer. um, She was on duty and she starts flicking the light. She goes, this light is going. And, and Brian Morgan starts laughing. He goes, he goes, that light goes nowhere. Everybody goes nowhere. And everybody went even crazier. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that, that was supposed to summon the principal and then you were to mm-hmm. behave. No one was coming. She decides she's going to go get help. And as she moves to, to get out of the cafeteria, unfortunately she slipped on some food that was on the floor. <laughs> poor, poor thing. I mean, she, it was, that ended the the food fight very quickly because she was down. She was clearly in pain. Other teachers had to come. They come in. They barge into the cafeteria. They're like, every, their mouths are hanging open. Like, what's going on? And then someone, I forget who it was. Some kid said, "Well, they flashed the red light. No one came." <laughs> so that that was taken out about a month after. It wasn't a good disciplinary uh, measure. Let's, put, let's put a red light in for the kids to keep them quiet. <laughs> it's gonna be like Pavlov's dog. Yeah, the science teacher came up with that. Click, click, mm-hmm. click, click. Put the red light on. <laughs> Calm the kids. I don't know how we... So we... From from middle of summer to school days, right? All right. We have um, three stories for you today, folks. And, uh, and many of them are pride-themed because, hey, happy pride. The pride leprechaun's in town. He says, top of the pride to you. Not for too much longer because, as we know, June... Uh, apparently, only in June can you have pride, but... Uh, me and Tim think differently about that. So uh, the first one comes to us from Japan, actually, and it's a uh, the headline reads: Japanese lawmaker says LGBT rights go against preservation of species amid record low birth rates. Japanese lawmaker Kazuo Yana of the ruling Democratic Party has said that LGBT rights go against the preservation of species, and this is his take on what Japan is experiencing a, a actually a very interesting downward trend in terms of births. And so he thinks that, you know, there's a downward trend, sure, but part of the reason is we shouldn't be celebrating pride. We shouldn't be de- dealing with LGBT people because they do not procreate and thus increase the birth rate in Japan. Naturally, other lawmakers um, stepped in and complained bitterly and please retract your comments and apologize for this. Um, (laughs) but it seems to me such a far-fetched thing to go from declining, you know, like I think in 2020, uh, Japan recorded, um, 25,000 fewer babies born domestically and to Japanese nationals living abroad than the previous year. And the previous year had a a similar kind of downward trend. 
But according to science and to people that study this, it's not because of the gays, right? <laughs> well, Japan's always Japan's had a shrinking uh, population for quite a while, and uh, what's it? Thirty percent of their population's over sixty-five, mm-hmm. and and a lot of it was economical. A lot of it is uh, women getting into the workforce and people just not having children. But that's not just Japan. It really is a lot of the Western industrialized countries. They're concerned about it globally, particularly in, in the first world, I guess, in terms of birth rate. But I've always, I've still been fascinated by Japan. As you know, I used to travel there quite a bit in a former life. And, uh, and a lot of the work that you and I did within the LGBTQ space and, and uh, often told that there weren't gay people in Japan to begin with. So um, I, I find it interesting in, in that regard overall how far they've come at least to acknowledge that there's such a thing that exists. It's not a unicorn. So um, and, and but to blame it on <laughs> to blame it on the fact that uh, the low birth rate, you gotta blame it on something. Right. So let's blame it on the gays. Um, the fact that uh, they have a dwindling uh, birth rate—I um, I just smiled because it's uh, well, it's 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 gratifying to see that human behavior, even if it's across the globe, is similar to let's say Greg Abbott in Texas yeah. when the power grid goes down. Hmm, let's blame the wind turbines, even though there was zero. That's <laughs> all because of that it, that that green energy that the grid went down. Oh, okay, that low birth rate. Mm, you better not go to Pride because that's going to be one less baby. <laughs> it's just so crazy, right? Yeah, no, it it just doesn't uh, it doesn't make sense. But it, it's uh, it is an issue overall, though. And I I don't uh, you know J- uh, China even is uh, now advocating. You probably saw this. China's advocating. They used to have a one a one, one child baby. policy. It's yeah. now three. You can have three now. Yeah, because they saw a big dip. You know, to to wrap this one up. Um, Anne Allison, a professor of cultural anthropology at Duke University, said that the birth rate is down, even the coupling rate is down, and people will say the number one reason is economic insecurity. And here we go. Doesn't that make sense? If you're a parent, if you're a couple and you want to bring a child uh, into your family, um, either through ha- um, for, through having one or adopting one, you you think about how the cost is going to impact you and are you going to be able to provide for your child? You know what I mean? So. Right. There we have a very simple, clear-cut reason, is, and, but, you know, it's easier to blame the gays. All right, now, we, um, this is an interesting story, this next one, and there's two ways to say this, so, and, we, and, and, and Tim and I have done the research on the internet, and we, so it says, the headline reads, iconic doge, D-O-G-E, or doggy, you know, and it's D-O-G-E, meme, NFT breaks record, selling for $4 million. So. There's a picture that's been circulating online for many years now, and it's of a Shiba Inu named Kaba Kabaosu. Kabosu is uh and it and it's a um a picture of a Shiba a dog smiling, like looking at a camera, but it's got this expression on its face where it kind of looks like it's smiling, and it's been very popular. People put type over it and stuff like that. Well, um it's sold as a as a meme, as an NFT, a non-function, a non-fungible token. Which you and I could talk about this one for a while. But I still don't truly get what this is all about, but um, it sold for four million dollars over the weekend. Um, I think that's crazy money, and it, and it doesn't tell you who bought it, except it says the the user was at please our Dow P L E A S R D A O, and that's the user who bought this with apparently cryptocurrency. 
Um, the, but the backstory is kind of funny because the guy that took this picture owns the dog and never knew in a million years that this thing was going to become this popular, you know, dog meme, right? There's something else we missed. Yeah. <laughs> NFTs or memes. Well, but, you know, both. I, I, I've, I had this conversation with some friends recently about these NFTs or the non-fungible tokens. I still don't quite get it. I, I looked it up, um, and tried to do research and all of us did, but Maybe it's just I feel like I'm I'm Kate, uh, Katie Couric. They have a they have a uh, there's a video on YouTube. I remember this of her with yeah. Brian Gumble. What's the internet? What's the <laughs> World Wide Web? And she and Brian Gumble are having this discussion about the internet. So somebody can you know play this five years from now or a year from now. But it's this digital ledger and a blockchain and all this stuff. But I'm trying to figure out is that real money? Yes, yes. So eventually, does somebody um, have four million they can use to go use to buy something? In cryptocurrency, and apparently you can convert the currency to cash somehow. Yeah, it's no, it, it says here NFTs are a kind of certificate of authenticity. The NFT is a string of unique characters. The characters are connected to a blockchain, which is a group of computers that act as a digital ledger that no one, no one computer can change, proving, of course, its chain of origin. Um, the same concept powers cryptocurrencies like uh, Bitcoin and, and Dogecoin or Doggy Coin. Um, so it and it doesn't even deal with copyright. So all you are buying is that that you're that you have the authentic string or the that leads back to the original image. But the image is all over the place already. So right. it's not like you can just go out there and say don't. You know, I so the value of this is still a head scratcher. I guess that's. Are you in that? camp it's like okay i i kind of get it i don't get it but but what i do get is that it's not singularly it's unique in its own way but there are thousands if not millions of copies of this thing on the web already right right and so how do you control that because they then they then talked about some other ones there's the disaster girl which i always love that one but um that one they said was worth about four hundred and thirty thousand. uh there's a couple of others that have been worth about a half a million some there's one called peppy the frog that i i don't remember that one but that's up to about a million but i i don't um you're exactly right people share these things all the time so unless you have to pay to use them i don't know what the value is of it right well and then later in the article it says the nft is more like a digital autograph from the meme creator uh, certifying authenticity, similar to an autographed baseball card. So that kind of makes sense to me when they put it in that perspective. Right. So, you know, you have a Hank Aaron baseball card signed by Hank Aaron. Well, Tops, the people that used to make that stuff, or they still do, um, there may be 10 million Hank Aaron cards, but there's only X number that have his signature on it. Thus, the value changes. So I can see that, but... right. I still don't, if, if I can have a picture for free as opposed to 4 million, I'm not really overly concerned that I, I it's an, it, that it authentically goes back to the author. Would you be? <laughs> well, it reminds me a little bit of, we weren't allowed to sing happy birthday on when we were at mm-hmm. Sirius then because of the copyright issue that what was it? Uh, Paul McCartney owned the song, right? Yeah. And so you weren't allowed to sing that. And, um, so in, in shows, I guess you would have to, if they came after you, you would have to pay the royalty, which for happy birthday was a lot of money yet. Happy birthday is sung a million times a day all over the world. <laughs> just you can't do it on the airwaves. That's yeah. so, just crazy. Yeah. So, hey, congrats to the lucky four million uh, person who paid four million for this uh, Shiba Inu image, which is cute. But I, I'm happy to not pay the four million. 
And our last article today comes to us from Major League Baseball, and the headline reads, it matters that almost all of baseball is embracing pride. It changes the game. This was an interesting article. Um, it was a long article because it also looked at the history of how Major League Baseball has been sort of at the forefront of welcoming LGBTQ fans, whether it be through a Pride Day event, a Pride game, or something that was played on a home turf in the month of June. Most, if not all, um, major league teams have done something, with the exception of Mr. Bennett. Texas! <laughs> Do the jingle, rattle, and roll. roll. Texas yeah, Rangers. Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're surprised? Well, I was about to, you know, they, they named a whole bunch of teams, and then they mentioned the New York Mets. And then you don't hear anything about the New York Yankees until the next paragraph when it says the Yankees often forego specific pride-themed games, but choose to celebrate in other ways. So the Yankees actually have this thing called the Legacy of Pride, um, and it's a 2019 award and scholarship, and it's given to students in public schools here in New York. So they do celebrate. They just don't do a, a game that's devoted to it. They, they give back to the community differently. Not, so that's one thing, but then you have the Texas Rangers. Apparently, the Rangers did do something many years ago but they got a lot of pushback. And in fact, somebody even created a, a .com called protestgayday.com. And they haven't publicly celebrated the, the community ever since. And, you know, for the last, we've been on, on air, not particularly with, with Unbuttoned, but with our, our brand, the Focus Group, and, uh, which Unbuttoned is part of, for 14 years. And Texas has remained our largest market and, yeah. and, and our most listeners. And we love our Texas fans, but it's it's always a head scratcher to me that Texas just continues to um to do the wrong thing <laughs> sometime in a lot of ways. So thank you for our Texas fans that continue to support us. And uh, I know you're all working hard to try to change minds down there, but it um it, it's a it's a tough slog. But uh, we know there's a lot of listeners, and particularly in the big cities in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, uh, Austin. Um, that are working to uh, to uh, change the minds down there. But boy, oh boy, need a new governor, need some new senators. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's not go there. But buried in this article, they also talked about um, a, a player named Glenn Burke, who was the first gay player out to his teammates in management in Major League Baseball. And that was in the 1970s. Um, his career suffered as a result of it. He did, in fact, die uh, from complications of AIDS in 1991. So he was way ahead of his time, though, by being out and being um, on a team. And so there's a couple of interesting paragraphs that talk about um, him and how he was really, you know, they try to honor him today. But as one uh, activist said, you really can't fix the past. The best we can do is, is, you know, honor his name. But um, so it was an interesting article. So yeah, baseball's had a had an interesting history. And as you know, we said not down in Texas, but we love our fans. So if you want to look further into this, outsports.com has this article and the the information about Glenn Burke is pretty fascinating. I had no idea that we had a player that was out on a major league at that. At, at that, in that yeah, I, I did not either. He, he, uh, he sadly died of AIDS at 42 and, um, and he did, he did uh, certainly have lots of uh, prejudice, particularly from um, name calling and so forth. But I never, I never heard of him. 
which I guess no, that yeah, it's it's almost like it's like a blind spot in our own our LGBTQ history. So it's, but I mean, many people have, but I had not. So I, I was really thankful to have that put into the article because it kind of kind of framed the whole baseball thing nicely for us. All right, so uh, at the top of the show, I mentioned that Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987, is a partner of ours here on TFG Button, and we would invite you to visit their site by going to ours, focusgroupradio.com, and clicking on the Critics' Choice Video logo. When you're there, you could request a catalog or the view the online catalog, but I would always request the catalog because it arrives in the mail. It's nonlinear shopping. It's the good old days, folks. You could flip open to something and, oh, I think I might get that, as opposed to directed search, which we seem to be living in now. If you bought this, maybe you'd want to buy that. Um, right on the homepage, though, Tim, I saw something that I would gladly invest in, and it was the Carol Burnett 20 DVD variety pack. I have I mean, it pulled Car- up. I have it pulled <laughs> up. I knew you were going to go there. Did you really? Okay. Yep. Yeah, no, it's the Carol Burnett 20 DVD variety pack. It's $80 or $79.99. So you save uh, save close to 20%. But I laughed when I saw this because I thought uh, th- this would be right up your alley. Do you remember watching this as a kid? I think it was on 10 o'clock Saturday nights, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We were allowed to watch it and um, loved it. Loved Carol. I mean, it was humor that um, I, I would say it's family humor, right? Well, I... Did you find, well, you would probably laugh. You probably, your parents would laugh and you didn't know why maybe mm-hmm. at some things, but you would laugh at kind of the funny antics, but your parents, I, there was a lot of, when you watch these things now, you would, you would understand kind of the inside, which, which, which is what made the humor funny, right? Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And, and that's, that's why Carol Burnett really, it, Carol Burnett reminds me in some ways of like a, a well-made Disney cartoon or a Pixar movie. There's two layers. There's, you know, the it's it's for kids, air quotes. But if you're an adult, you're getting something out of it too. Right. <laughs> so it's the reverse. It was for adults, but kids could get something right. out of it as well. Right. So head over to uh, focusgroupradio.com, click on the Critics Choice Video logo, start shopping away, grab grab the Carol Burnett 20 DVD variety pack, give it to somebody for the holidays, give it to somebody for a special gift, the graduate, or uh just have it playing in your house in the background when you have people over for cocktails this summer. And um, again, be sure to support our friends at Critics' Choice Video. We should we appreciate them supporting us. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to catch our show, The Focus Group, with Tim Bennett and John Nash every Wednesday. Head over to focusgroupradio.com. Find where all our media is housed there, both our audio and video platforms. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Take care. It's The Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com.